This is Craig Clevenger. You're listening to Booked Podcast. I'll drink your blood if you got sickle cell anemia. I'm sick as hell and fiending you. I'm haunting every dream of you. Seemingly misleading you just to hear you scream because. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This is a very, very special episode of Booked. This is what I've personally uh, entitled the Zombie Horror Extravaganza Spectacular. And I just waved my arm across uh, the sky here so you could see how spectacular this is going to be. Um, <laughs> quick note here, um, although we are marked as explicit in the iTunes store, um, our, our topics of conversation usually don't lend themselves to be very explicit. Um, this is going to be a little different. So if your stomach is easily turned or you're offended by naughty words or you have children in the room, I strongly suggest you turn this podcast off now. Um, without further ado, Rob is going to kick off and introduce um, our special guests. Okay, we've got two special guest hosts for this episode. The first one is Amanda Gowan, uh, who we've interviewed in the past. Amanda is a horror aficionado, if not expert, and has dabbled in all aspects of the genre, including writing, effects, makeup, acting, and diluting ketchup with water to produce realistically colored fake blood. Her works have appeared alongside fellow guest host Chris Deal in two anthologies. Um, Chris's work has been featured in Warmed and Bound and in the forthcoming Thunderdome anthology in Search of a City, along with Amanda Gowan. Every time he thinks he's done with zombies, he gets drawn back in. Amanda, Chris, welcome back to Booked. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're going to kick off this episode talking about a story by Craig Walwork called Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters. A little bit about Craig. Uh, Craig Walberg lives in West Yorkshire, England, with his wife and daughter. After leaving art college, he studied to be a filmmaker before becoming a full-time editor for nine years. His fiction has appeared in various anthologies, journals, and magazines. All right, uh, so (laughs) the one option we had was to bleep out every time someone said a word that probably wasn't appropriate for airing. (laughs) But as... (laughs) As uh, Rob just uh, suggested, there we're gonna we're gonna be talking a lot about uh, about zombies and pussy eating and a lot of other things. So, again, um, tune out if it's not your thing. On the other side of the coin, this might just be the episode you've been waiting for. So, get ready. So here's kind of a, a loose introduction to this uh, this short story. It's about uh, four friends who are out on the prowl to meet some ladies and uh, find themselves in a town where. Uh, where all the lesbians have become zombies. <laughs> In order to really introduce the story the right way, someone's going to have to read the first paragraph of the story because it really sums up a lot of what the story's about. It really hits the ground running. It's a little after 2 a.m. at a gay bar in the village called Al's Jazeera. And I'm watching my friend Corbia remove the head from a lesbian zombie by repeatedly stabbing her neck with a leg of a bar stool. <laughs> Glorious. It's yeah, it's it's one of the certainly one of the most engaging first paragraphs I've read in a while. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect from this story, oddly enough, even after its title, but yeah, it it, it does kind of suck you right in. Yeah, that's not window dressing. That's like that's how the story is. It's 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 
it gets kind of rough. Uh, it's just didn't know what to expect. If you didn't know what to expect, you're a fool. <laughs> yeah, that's me. All over it. It's okay. Sorry. I also I also didn't realize when we committed to doing and we actually committed to reviewing this long time ago when Malaz first mentioned it on the show. And at no point did it actually occur to me what the content of the story might be, believe it or not. <laughs> Until Rob and I were talking like, I don't know, two weeks ago, and I was like, Jesus Christ, man, do you know what this episode is gonna sound like after we review this story? So so there you go. I'm that fool, Chris, just so you know. All right, so a little bit more about the story. Livius did the setup. Um it's basically that they the, these group of guys go out to a bar to try and pick up chicks, end up in the gay in a gay neighborhood or whatever, and and unwittingly looking for women. Yeah, looking for women, and unwittingly stumble upon this like kind of like micro zombie apocalypse kind of thing going on with all <laughs> these zombie lesbians and like zombies by themselves. This is my personal opinion. Zombies by themselves. Uh, you know, that's enough of a shock factor. <laughs> the way he introduces these zombies is so fantastic. It's like they're <laughs> they're <laughs> uh, see. I'm having trouble. <laughs> I'm having trouble talking about it, but it's so fantastic. It's um. He all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but basically, Corbier, one of the main. Uh, uh, friends hooks up with uh, a female character named Pela, and, and, and I think kind of off camera or whatever. I guess um, he's fingering her, and she's on her period, <laughs> and the zombies can smell the menstrual blood. And so, I mean, <laughs> no punches are pulled, and uh, I, I don't know. That was just. <laughs> In a very gruesome way, it was just very poetic. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. (laughs) So I have a legitimate question. We mentioned that they were out um, kind of on the prowl to meet some ladies, and and they wind up in a a gay neighborhood. The the premise behind that is maybe genius. I'm I'm not really sure, so I'm going to ask Amanda to chime in here. Their thought process is that um, women will go and hang out in the gay bars because then they're not pestered by men. So Amanda, you're absolutely you're the f- true. Absolutely true. There you go. Wallwork has hit on a gold mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, I think the stretch of the imagination is that guys catch on to this. <laughs> I could be wrong. <laughs> that's, that's true. They do now. They do now. The secret is out. <laughs> Only Craig knew before. <laughs> and he had, and he appropriately punished them by uh, killing them all with <laughs> yeah. zombies. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna turn off all uh, all of all the spoiler alerts. Look, it's about zombies. You're gonna have to expect them that a lot of them end up that way, yeah. as they do in most zombie uh, fiction slash movies slash TV shows. <laughs> okay, so if you haven't gotten it yet, this is a written very very tongue in cheek um, and probably one of the funniest things I've read in a really long time. Yeah. Uh, does anybody have any kind of favorite moments from the story they'd like to share? I I did like the karate, the karate kid <laughs> moment. And my favorite, I, I really, really liked the, I swear it was consensual. That whole. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> like she was into it or something. Or she's willing. <laughs> right. 
I love that. But the whole thing, it's like the whole thing, it just makes, it makes me think about Craig and I think about like what a conservative, like respectable person, you know, (laughs) with the wife, you know, the family man, you know, and then these stories, some of the stories and and it's all wrapped up. And I did, I, I mean, when I read the story. I, I couldn't keep it together. It took me like three tries to get through it. Like I just have to stop and take a break and then go back and, and read some more because I just wasn't processing it because it was so funny <laughs> and recognizing most of the names, you know? Yeah. That's something we're going to get to in a little bit is <laughs> Craig Walwork managed to um, immortalize many of his friends in, in this particular story, which is, uh, which is amusing because it read a little bit like a, uh, like a set list for uh, for uh, warmed and mound interviews for us. <laughs> it really did. Uh, so a little more about the story. Um, the four main characters, uh, or I'm sorry, the four the four male characters in this story, all um, uh, they meet two women, and then you know hijinks ensue with zombies, as, as Rob had indicated, and they're basically picked off one by one uh, through the course of the story, in you know ways that you know the one's just funnier than the next. For sure. Um, All right. So does anybody have any other general thoughts on the story or kind of like a short little wrap up about it? And then we'll do quotes towards the end. Favorite moments and quotes. I thought the story was fabulous. I thought it really, really shows what you can do with zombies. I mean, how like elastic the genre is that you can just really take it anywhere. Like, I mean, it can be just as comic or just as, you know, as much of a joke as you want it to be, like as a backdrop. And I was, th- I was thinking it was, it was the story's a, a bit of a, I'm not going to say a comment on, but it, it definitely points out how, you know, almost insular the, the, the whole zombie concept of been. You've only got a handful of ideas that just get expanded on. So we've got references the shot of the dead, them going out, you know, holding up in a bar. You've got uh, references to, was it Dog? What is that? Um, Doghouse, that British movie starring Danny Dyer. All women turn into zombies. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, and a bunch of guys out trying on a, you know, more or less a bachelor party surrounded by zombies. It's, Actually, no, no. Uh, it was a bunch of guys out celebrating a friend's divorce get attacked by female zombies. So it's it's shit. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> it's uh, I, I was just really impressed at how many concepts, how many ideas that he hit on. But then ultimately, it became its own. Its own. The story became its own thing, and mm-hmm. he really grabbed the Zeds by the horns and F them up the, I don't know. <laughs> That's I pretty... think you can say balls at this point. Yeah. Grab the zombies by the balls and oh, did they sing. The least offensive thing you'll hear on this show tonight, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you bring up a good point. He did actually hit on quite a few different um, zombie-related themes, I think, in a really short period of time. I mean, I read this in a word document but i mean it's like 35 pages maybe tops uh 19 it's, on mine 
Oh, there you go. Well, 19, 19, um, sorry, I probably have to cut this out. It's like 350 <sighs> average to a page. So I was just saying it's 19, it's 19 pages in the, in the word doc, but if it was in a book, um, I think it's going to be out about 30, 35 pages. Oh yeah. Idiot. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Wake me up when you're done talking about the fucking word count. <laughs> uh, yeah. And here's the thing, like, um, at surface level, it seems like it's like a incredibly funny and b really offensive. But he does uh, <laughs> he does manage to wedge some like really like serious uh, moments in there. And then yeah, like you said, commentary on the whole zombie genre. But um, he, <laughs> I, I think I caught a hint of emotion, you know, here and there, the uh, the, the little. The amorous scenes between like uh, Corbier and, and the Pela character and everything like that. It's it's a cornucopia of uh, of feelings and emotions. <laughs> no, no one's buying that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's there's another character too who who you know has been carrying around the secret you know for the the Bolton character. Oh, He's been carrying around the secret his whole life and. What was really funny about that part is I have a group of friends who um, Dan, who was on the show, and and, and Joe from Fat Nate Podcast, I talk about. It, that's exactly how they are. You can come out with this this kind of like life changing admission of something, and somehow it's going to turn into a joke really, really shortly mm-hmm. thereafter. So that felt very real for a group of like goof off friends to, uh, you know, to, to treat something in that manner. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually thinking about it. One of the standout moments is that like really dangerous confession and then like the way the reaction was just like he was you could tell he was trying to be good to his friend but he just like couldn't help now a little cut <laughs> yeah okay i'm gonna because i've never heard of this before so I've, I've got i've got my copy out here on my kindle and it says uh, it says intersex or pseudo hermaphroditism does anybody know if this is an actual condition or if you just made this up no it is it is it's, it's an actual condition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, there wow. you go. I answered you know, too quickly. It, yeah. <laughs> so we have an expert. You know, what's really funny is I could have actually used this uh, this really cool feature on the Kindle where um, it just has a dictionary and found out, which just occurred to me now as I'm looking at it. So uh, let's see. Pseudo-hermaphroditism, the condition in which an individual of one sex has external genitalia superficially resembling those of the other sex. Hmm. There you go. That's why. Okay, that makes sense with the his reaction comment about the clit and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like female hyenas. E- elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was thinking out loud. Um, there are species of female hyenas that have false penises, which are basically really enlarged clitorises, and they they're like the only species of animal that. Um, Intercourse has to be consensual, wow. and that's nothing to do with anything. Other than like God, the first time it was about llama sex, <laughs> the time it's hyenas. Wow, I'm hyenas with so giant clitoris. Remind me if we ever do like a bestiality episode, or remind, remind me to. <laughs> we know who's on deck. Sorry, Amanda. <laughs> the hyenas are safe. Don't go for the hyenas. <laughs> 
And, and here's another thing. Not only did I not think about the content of this story when I thought we should do this episode, but here I go going, hey, you know what would really be great to have on Amanda Gowan? I'm just going to ask a woman if she wants to be on this episode <laughs> without any thought to just content or how she'd react to it. I was like, oh, she'd probably love to do this. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, you know. Hyenas We're really glad it is. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. always learn something, too, when you're on, which is really Exactly. I'll be on Jeopardy someday. Give me time. <laughs> I'm trying. Wow, dirty Jeopardy. Okay, so it's <laughs> as we kind of mentioned. That, um, patent that. It's a million million dollar idea. Dirty Jeopardy. Do it. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's going to be our next episode. Welcome to the Dirty Jeopardy episode of Booked. So we mentioned a little bit that uh, Craig kind of took his friends to uh, task by naming them as characters, and and not one of them, not one of them in a flattering light, I should mention in this story. (laughs) So um, our own correspondent, our own personal correspondent from the Netherlands, Malaz Corbier, um, is named in this as just Corbier throughout. Bowden Steiner, who has done a lot of the artwork um, for some of the stuff we've reviewed, is in it. Um, Mr. Deal himself um, doesn't actually make an appearance, but is mentioned. Um, uh, Chris, would you like to tell us how you're mentioned in this story? Uh, yes, let me find and I can tell you the exact line. Uh, well, I'm too lazy to actually go through, but apparently I subscribe to Hard Times, a local uh, alternative uh, television station, alternative uh, gay porn. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it's gay porn. <laughs> so, which which was really really amusing while we were <laughs> reading through the story because it just it, it came out of nowhere. Like every other character is kind of introduced, and and this is just like a throwaway moment where someone's in an office and noticed like an envelope or something. <laughs> with, well, they noticed the huge penis paperweight that's pinning the paper down. There you go. Yep. <laughs> So yeah, so. and I, <laughs> uh, if I'm going to be immortalized in any way, in uh, this is the way I want it to happen. This is it. As the gay porn subscriber. Ah um, uh, yes. Other. <laughs> um, Pelavia. Um, is also mentioned as the girlfriend uh, <laughs> or would-be girlfriend of Corbier. Uh, and Eddie was in it, too. Just like one line. Yeah, Rafke. Rafke was mentioned. Oh, that's right. He's um, he's the um, one of the uh, policemen, I believe, or whatever they are at the end that show up. Yeah, there was yeah. Some, some bastardization of, of the name Caleb. There was also something called Corban. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's like almost any time something could have a name or refer to a name. Uh, it was, it was something kind of velvet related. It seemed like. All right. It was Calabia, which is really, really funny too. On top of all the other things we mentioned, they were really funny. So. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, also booked alum, uh, Gordon Highland, who had this to say about revenge of the zombie pussy eaters. Hey, it's your old pal, Gordon Highland here. Uh, when I first heard about, Craig Wahlberg's story, of course, the, the thing that struck me most was the title, the, uh, the ambiguity of it, because you don't really know whether the parts being eaten belong to the zombies or whether the zombies are eating said parts of others. 
And of course I use that terminology because I'm uncomfortable saying the word pussy. I also heard that Craig name drops me uh, in the story. Uh, he, he told me that I gave him a line for it a while back that even he thought was questionable. <laughs> and that's really saying something that when you're you know coming from the author of such classics as Flaps and Anal Twine. <laughs> so I guess I'm a, a character or something in the story, and I just hope that I go down in a blaze of glory. Let's see. Make puns about head double tapping, and the stench of necrotic tissue. Yeah, I think we're good. Thanks for having me back on. Can't wait to read the story. Oh, Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) That was perfect. Wow. Yeah. That was awesome. (laughs) You know, we can always count on some sort of funny little uh, quip from Gordon Highland and always recorded in much higher quality than than the actual episode itself. (laughs) So Gordon makes an interesting point. I talked a little bit about the title of the story. And one of the things that um, I wanted to kind of pass around here at the table is the content of the story is what it is. But do you think that actually labeling a story, Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters, gains you um, more interest or actually deters more people from reading it? I think it can go both ways. I agree. I mean, I would definitely, I would definitely read something, but then, you know, the, we're called that. And if I didn't know who Craig, you know, was, but you, you have half of people that would go, oh, I need to stay far, far away from that. I don't have any idea what that, I just, no, 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 no. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I think, um, well, what I think it does is I think it, it gives you a more specific audience. Uh, you, you get the people who are like, Oh yeah, anything that's got a title that's crazy, I must read. But then you also get the people, you get the people who are interested in it, whether they want to find out if they're disqualifying themselves from reading it or finding out if they <laughs> if it's something that they're into. So I think it piques more interest, but it does have, yeah, just the story itself has a way of you know, a, a potential for turning people away. But um, you got to go, in my opinion, you got to go eye opener, and there's. There's, there's nobody who's going to read that title and not at least wonder about it. Chris, got anything? I say if uh, a man doesn't want to pick up a and read a short story, Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters, I, I honestly, I, I can understand how people would be, you know, a little turned away by the, you know, just the title and, you know, what that implies, but you got to be brave when you read. You can't, you, you, you got to be brave. And I would hope that I honestly think that he needs more people to read this. More people need to read of the revenge of the zombie pussy eaters. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like, I like your statement. You got to be brave to when you read, you got to be brave when you read. That's really, uh, it's got a lot of truth to it. I mean, you just don't want to, you, you can't be, you know, you, you can't build up these walls of just the one thing you're going to do, you know, not even in reading, just you can't narrow yourself into these one little, this one little corner. Otherwise, well, your life's going to be boring. You don't want to be, I read the same shit all day, even amazing, beautiful stuff like Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters. I'm going <laughs> to just get bored and damn it, no one needs to be bored. Personally, I just think it's a fantastic story, and that's the most I'm going to talk for the rest of the episode. (laughs) 
which which brings us to a good point to uh um, we don't really have a system in place for rating short stories, so I, I'm just going to do it like this. Man, this is a five-star short story. Any story that can make me laugh out loud, yeah, I don't know, eight, ten times in 30-ish pages is absolute solid gold. So thank you, Mr. Walwork. Cheers. Yeah, I agree. And you got there's something to be said for a story that if you're reading it in public, like you look around with kind of like a guilty guilty look to see if like anybody else is on to you for reading such like you know like hilarious filth in public <laughs> so i guess to turn that into a rating I, I would say this is definitely a five star five star short story amanda final thoughts um i loved it i loved it but i laughed all the way through it i loved it it's that was yeah, that part's not gonna work. Um, it remind it reminded me of hyenas with gigantic clits. <laughs> They're called false penises, not called gigantic clits. If you heard it on National Geographic, they would say the false penis of the female hyena. <laughs> In exactly that tone, too. That was perfect. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <sighs> It was a very good story, and I laughed a lot, a lot. And it took me three readings to get through because it was so funny. Those are my final thoughts. All right, yeah, a thoroughly funny story. So Rob and I um, and perhaps our guests have a few um, favorite quotes or moments. So, uh, Rob, did you want to kick that off, or do you want me to? Yeah, I'll kick it off. I just have something really simple, and, I, and because it's a short story of you know an arguable number of pages, I... Uh, I have just one quote, and it's very short. <clears throat> Corbier is talking about uh, these these zombie lesbians, and he says, they're eating more pussy than cervical cancer. <laughs> easily, easily the funniest line. I've already set, used that twice in the four <laughs> or five days since I read this story. <laughs> so. if, that, if that doesn't make it, like, I don't know. That would sell... So many copies of this book, <laughs> of this anthology that it's in. Uh, That's like potentially like a pop culture like reference that could like stick I yeah. mean, in all different aspects. Oh yeah, it's got yeah, it's got staying power. This needs to be like quoted everywhere. It needs to be graffitied under <laughs> under bridges and on school yeah. buses. On oh, school no, buses. That's not. That's <laughs> Ironically, on ambulances, I think we can get Sean Ferguson involved in that. <laughs> And in, in keeping with that line of thought, um, I do have to say that Craig Walwork must have much love for Malaz because I think he handed every golden line in the book to the, the Corbier character. Um, here's another short one. That dyke is on her bike, he said. We assumed he meant her <laughs> monthly cycle. Uh, yeah. So I have yet to I have not heard that before. Well, that's what I was wondering. Have I have I missed all these great references somewhere else? But I'm thinking these are mostly original. Yeah. Well, I don't spend a lot of time looking up euphemisms for you know periods, girls' periods, or anything. So I'm not into that too much. (laughs) And not enough, I guess. (laughs) Honey badgers is your thing. Yeah, honey badger. It's a different story. Hey, honey badger, don't give no shit. That's right. Are we going to talk about honey badgers now? (laughs) <laughs> Do you have some odd sexual reference for honey badgers you'd no, like I to don't. share? I, just, I, I have 
have a lot of information. <laughs> the great thing, and I'm totally leaving this in the episode, the great thing about the honey badger and that, that whole video is that it went it went legit. I don't know if you guys see those pistachio commercials that are on TV every now and then. <laughs> but there's a pistachio commercial where the honey badger takes a cobra and whips it onto a rock that's got pistachios on it and breaks the pistachio open. And Randall, <laughs> the guy that does the narrating of those videos on, on YouTube, is in the commercial. Like, the dude does his honey badger thing in the pistachio commercial. <laughs> and it... I can't tell you how happy that makes me. <laughs> now, now I get to embed that video on our website for this episode. Oh, it was the plan all along yep. for weeks. Yep. He's been thinking about this. God damn it. You know what? And I didn't bring it up, Livia, so it's your fault. All right. You got another one, Rob. Um, that's it for me. I just wanted to do that one. And, and, and here's, here's why. Because I think... That is so characteristic of the story in general, and I don't think I could find anything better. I am going to um, turn things upside down here at Booked and do more quotes than Rob, and this one is lengthy. <laughs> um, Amanda mentioned it earlier. Uh, my favorite you know, kind of scene in the book, not line, but a scene in the book, and uh, this takes place um, just as, uh, as the group of guys is being attacked by um, it's probably the first or second wave of zombies that comes at them. When Corbier was eight years old, he watched the Karate Kid 76 times and became obsessed with learning karate. He weighed close to 11 stone and had as much grace as a heifer wearing stilettos. He lost, he lost a lot of his puppy fat, masturbating vigorously during his teen years, but it had been almost 20 years since I'd even seen him try the crane. But right then, with a moaning, flesh-eating, pallid-faced lesbian approaching him, there he was, <laughs> arms raised and one leg cocked. Gordon stood behind him, his very own Mr. Miyagi, whispering in his ear. I felt this was more than just a simple homage to a movie for Corbier. It was the little fat kid inside him getting revenge against all the girls who never once looked his way when he was a kid. When he heard Gordon shout, now, both Bowden and I watched in awe as Corbier jumped from one foot to the next, striking the zombie in her tits and knocking her into the river. <laughs> With his confidence build up... He roundhoused the other one into the river and put his fist through the face of the lass. The two women cheered and ran toward him and Gordon. The pretty girl was called Pela, and her friend was Gail, the only two straight women in the village. Epic. Awesome stuff. Just awesome stuff. Um, I I didn't remember that that scene I mean I remembered it was very memorable but I didn't remember and I was wondering when you were rereading it if there was a sweep the leg reference at any point Uh, but I guess not maybe that'll be in the the sequel to Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters Hmm. I'm not sure there's going to be a sequel that's probably not (laughs) (laughs) and alright it wouldn't be a totally fun interlude type episode without um, Malaz Corbier chiming in. So here's what our favorite Dutchman had to say. When you read uh, Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters, it might strike you that not every little single bit of it is exactly true. To compensate for that, I'll tell you a story which is true from A to Z. There was a very stout fellow from England who fell in love with a fair elven maiden. The maiden also loved him back. She really loved it when his long, long hair danced in the wind. Oh yes, the fellow was famous throughout the country for those mighty manes of his. 
but unfortunately he was so poor he couldn't even afford the hole in a ring, let alone the jewel itself. Unable to marry the maiden, he died out of pure misery. He lay in his grave for about half an hour when he got a brilliant idea. He raced from the grave and formed a rock band called the Genesis, and with it he wrote some of the worst songs ever written. Luckily, the public seems to love rubbish songs, and so you can see in today's pop charts as well. He made money, and lots of it too. However, he had been so extremely busy he never realized he had lost all of his hair and all that undead business. He felt as miserable as the British weather, because he believed the elven maiden would never love him with no hair. And therefore, once more, out of pure misery, he died. Of course he was mistaken. She cried and cried, salt tear after salt tear dropped on the grave that had been filled again. When he realized she loved him and not his hair, he decided to come back to the living another time. And so Mr. Warwalk repeated his neck and nowadays lives happily ever after with his maiden in Yorkshire, writing stories about zombies, cannibal and asses in his spare time. And, as always, some great words of wisdom from Laz Corbier. Thanks very much, Laz. He's always so much fun. He's <laughs> his character. Okay. Um, so we've talked a lot about Craig and the choices he made in writing this story and stuff. So um, Amanda actually collected a, uh, a statement from Craig in defense of his work. So she's going to go ahead and read that for you guys now. Dear readers, of whom I can attest, at least one is my mother and the kind listeners have booked. What you will hear in the next few moments is the opening statement of my defense in relation to the short story, Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters, a painful observation of social acceptance in contemporary Britain where the differences and diversity in other people or groups of people in particular, issues involving tolerance or lack thereof, sexism, homophobism, and prejudice in general are exposed with, I hope, tolerance, sympathy, and compassion. That there is a shitload of blood, fingering, gore, violence, and ribald humor should not detract from the aforementioned issues. But yes, on the surface of it, it is just a little bit of fun. The purpose of the opening statement is to foreshadow or predict for you what the evidence will actually be. It will be up to you after hearing all of the evidence whether I have proved my account of the events leading up to the publication of said story in the Midnight Movie Creature Feature Anthology released by May-December as truthful and compelling. I caution you now that what you will hear in this opening statement is not the views of May-December nor, now I have had a few moments to reflect, my own views. In truth, as I write this, I am a little drunk, having eaten a box of liqueurs featuring raspberry brandy, Grand Marnier, Kirsch, plum brandy, and cognac. I did not take kindly to the Grand Marnier. It appears I, too, have consumed a quart of vodka under some duress. I say duress, but it seems the simple act of passing me the beverage was enough to persuade me. Therefore, it is safe to say you'll get little sense from me in this statement. Any evidence will begin when the first witness begins to testify, of which there will be none attending, except, save for Mlaz Corbier, who would attend the opening of an envelope if, indeed, he was asked. <laughs> For that reason, and for those still paying attention, I have no evidence to give. The truth of the matter is, I assumed no one would ever read the story. I would like at this juncture to bring the attention of the readers, listeners, and my mother, Exhibit A. Richard Thomas's novel, Transubstantiate, a title which only really pays off in Scrabble. This novel was the strange catalyst to Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters. Mr. Thomas had cleverly used people he knew, writers and so forth, as, char as characters within his book. Secret shout-outs, I believe he referred to it as. 
If we could boil this down to everyday language, it would be this. No idea is original. Around the same time, I watched Lucio Fulci's film Zombie Flesh Eaters, which struck me as title as a title waiting to be punned. I then set upon the task of writing a story featuring my fellow writer chums and lesbian zombies, as you do. Therefore, if anyone here is to blame, or should any readers be offended, nay outraged, then can I please direct them to Mr. Richard Thomas? His email is available upon request. <laughs> I consider myself a law-abiding citizen. Save for that night, I stumbled into the nudist camp, drunk as a crab and dressed as Lady Gaga. I have had no prior convictions. I am not bigoted, racist, homophobic, nor do I dislike gay people. That I omitted the fact the story is set in a place called Canal Street, and that should you visit this place, you'd note the, st- the sign had been amended to exclude the first letter off each word, is a testament to my com- compassion towards the gay community albeit in retrospect, that I wish I had included it because it was rather funny. So I say to you readers, mother, and listeners, please do not condemn a man who gave this story to the world for nothing more than the shits and giggles. Do not think ill of me for naming the lead character Corbier, and for the sake of humankind, if you see me on the streets, do not offer me a Grand Marnier chocolate liqueur because, quite frankly, I will be sick on you. I will leave you all with this quote taken from my favorite novel, To Kill a Mockingbird. Farewell and good night. C.R. Walwork. There is one way in this country in which all men are created equal. There is one human institution that makes a pauper the equal of a Rockefeller, the stupid man the equal of an Einstein, and the ignorant man the equal of any college president. That institution, gentlemen, is a court. It can be the Supreme Court of the United States or the humblest J.P. court in the land or this honorable court which you serve. Our courts have their faults, as does any human institution, but in this country, our courts are the greatest levelers, and in our courts, all men are created equal. Atticus Finch. I've got to give him credit for writing a defense of that story that was as long as the story. <laughs> <laughs> and equally as amusing, yeah. I might add. Yeah, so. that's a testament to, to the humor in the story as well, I think. As we were intending to mention, and Amanda mentioned via Craig Walwork's um, love letter there, his story Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters appears in Midnight Movie Creature Feature from May-December Publications, which is edited by T.W. Brown. That should be out very, very shortly. Yeah, there's not a a release date yet that we know of, but um, I'm sure that we'll keep everybody informed because they're going to be dying to get their hands on this, uh, this story. Oh, absolutely. Mr. Brown was kind enough to provide us with an advanced copy of which I've read several of the stories. And I got to tell you, there's some good stuff in there. Nothing quite as nutty as his Walwork story just yet, but I'm still early on. I'm like four stories in. <laughs> um, yeah. And I assume that once we get a release date on that, we will, we'll probably just drop a quick little, little mention of it in one of our episodes and then just maybe quickly talk about a couple of the stories that we liked from it as well. Yep. All right, so moving out of Mr. Walwork's story, let's talk about some other zombie literature. Amanda, what's your favorite zombie book? Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm horrible. Don't ask me my favorite song or my favorite book or my favorite movie. I don't have answers for questions like that. I'm pretty sure that's the rest of the list is all me asking you your favorite (laughs) stuff. Like, what's your favorite color? (sighs) Okay, I'm kidding. Chris, influential zombie book. I'm thinking about it. I want to. I want to be 
you know the 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 horror smart guy and try and go to the original you know reanimator by H.P. Lovecraft, but you know that's just a shit story. So <laughs> it's got it's uh, early, very early. You you you've got the the ghoul, you know, flesh eating coming back from the dead, but it's ultimately. It's it's schlock and and as much as I love Lovecraft, he does have a lot of schlock. Um, I gotta say, I'm looking. Uh, uh, Stephen King's got some good stuff. You know, I I would put Pet Cemetery down as a as a sort of zombie novel. Would you agree, gentlemen and lady? Rob doesn't know the first thing about Stephen <laughs> King, so you'll note his silence. Um, I don't think I've read anything by King that was zombie-esque, actually. You're I saying that? I, I would not have thought of that, but I definitely would qualify that as a zombie. Yeah, in a way. It's, that's really it's, interesting. It, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that before, but yeah, that's, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Rob, favorite, uh, favorite zombie book? I have to admit that I haven't read a lot of zombie stuff. Um, <laughs> it actually, it, it comes down to, I know I've read World War Z by Max Brooks, which I thought was great. Um, oh, yeah. The only other really zombie stuff I've read was ZB&B by David James Keaton, which is hilarious. And then obviously this, this story that we're talking about right now. So I'm not in it by any stretch of the imagination um, an expert on zombie fiction. But um, World War Z uh, was a really, really, really good book. And the basis for Robopocalypse, too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) It's uh, sad but true. Yeah. Um, Definitely, I think World... Zombie fiction, I mean, it's it's really just beginning to come into its own. There's a lot of a lot of new things that are happening. I think it's going to get more interesting. But no, I don't really have a favorite zombie book like I haven't the literature hasn't influenced me nearly as much as you know the films and the just the idea of making it look like people are falling apart with makeup (laughs) World War Z was definitely a game changer and we talked a little bit about this sadly (laughs) during a review for another book Um, yeah I wrote down a couple breathers by S.G. Brown is my favorite zombie book that was funny excuse me it's a story about a uh (laughs) Uh, you know, people who become reanimated after they die, but they still have personalities, but they're technically zombies. And the uh, the story um, surrounds this main character whose name eludes me now. And he's young. He's 18 or 19. But basically, he uh, somebody has to kind of sign off and kind of adopt you as a zombie. So his parents do the do this for him. And he belongs to a zombie support group where he meets with zombies once a week to kind of talk about the the trials and tribulations of being a zombie. He falls in love with another zombie girl and, you know, it gets a little political and stuff. But, I mean, just really, really funny stuff for for that. And then to go in a serious direction, uh, a couple of years ago, I literally stumbled across this book and no idea what it was. But the title was really cool. The Reapers are the Angels by Alden Bell, which um, follows a 16-year-old girl, roughly 15, 16 years old, and kind of her cross-country trek after the zombie apocalypse. Just fantastic stuff there. Now that I had to find, look up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned on a recent episode that when I was looking through my Goodreads that there's a very, very small percentage of five-star books, and The Reapers or The Angels is definitely one of those, as is Breathers. 
There you go, guys. Some ringing recommendations from Liv if you want to get into some zombie zombie fiction. All right, so we thought it'd be fun. Breeders. <laughs> I have a few thoughts on breeders. Oh, well, share by all means. Breeders, um, the one thing that struck me about breeders was the level of consciousness that's not usually, you know, that's usually the one thing that's almost totally gone. And breeders with the love and the level of emotion, it's almost like, it struck me as almost like a bridge to the vampire genre. Because vampires are all broody and thinking and existential about their condition. And I'm not sure how I feel about the bringing so much. I'm scared that breathers could be the bridge to the twilight era of, like, zombieism. And I'm really, like... I think it's already I tried really hard not to say it, but I couldn't. Oh, no, absolutely. It's okay, and I I think you have a very valid point. For me, it was the only piece of literature that I'd ever read, the kind of uh, zombie literature that, you know, showed us the other side, which I thought was kind of cool. But, yes, I can totally see what you mean about, you know, your your hero of your story now being a zombie that thinks and acts and stuff. So it's a very good point. I now hate that book. Thanks a lot, Amanda. (laughs) Well, and it's now, you know, like, Oh, I hate my condition and my life and I'm stuck in this new existence and form that I do not like. But I, I have the I have the feeling Rob was, was is dying to mention something about your reference to Twilight. I got it. Really? I got nothing on Twilight. I thought you were totally gonna mention, but Liv loves Twilight. Oh no, see. I don't make fun of you about that in public. <laughs> I thought the Twilight books were okay. So you know, any any chance you get to defend Twilight, and I don't understand that because, like, defend it once. <laughs> I mean, it's on a podcast. People can go back and refer to it. Now, now the claws are coming out because, like, stalking. It's about stalking. That's all it's about. Watching someone sleep is not romantic. It's creepy. And I swear, Livius will not let go of any opportunity to defend Twilight. And, and and I don't even attack him on it, but but it's like he's got this compulsion to be like, no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> well, a lot of people have that compulsion when it comes to Twilight. I mean, yeah. they, they love that shit. I think I think Livia's impulsed. You're feeling guilty that you liked it, and then you feel like you have to justify it. Uh, it's okay. I mean, you can let it go. Thanks, Rob. I think, <laughs> think I can let it go now that you've given me the pass. This, yeah. So. This is a okay. safe place. <laughs> okay, and, and giving Livius an opportunity to escape this uh, this twilight witch hunt. Oh, witch hunt! <laughs> um, I Amanda, like witch hunts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amanda gave us a great idea when we were talking about how this uh, how this episode was going to uh, be structured. And so we're going to have kind of threaded throughout some survival questions. So the first survival question that we're going to pose to everybody involved is, where would you go in the event of a zombie outbreak? All right. And so let's kick it off with Amanda. Amanda, what would you, uh, what would, where would you go in the event of a zombie outbreak? Ted Nugent. I would find Ted Nugent. He has a compound. He has guns. He's insane. He's waiting for things to happen so that he can shoot everything. He's ready. He wears a squirrel tail. 
He does. He wears a squirrel tail. He, you know, as long as he doesn't play Wango Tango, you know, we're going to be fine. You find Ted Nugent, we can make it. <laughs> wow. Okay. One vote for Ted Nugent. <laughs> I think Chris I, <laughs> only during the only during a zombie apocalypse, not during like any other time. But not I'm just like saying, on a Friday he's, night. He's the one to find. <laughs> you can find Uncle Teddy. You'll be fine. <laughs> oh, Chris, I don't envy you because we're going to ask you to follow up on that. <laughs> wow. Um, hmm. Yep, got nothing clever. I'd go somewhere cold. <laughs> Northern Canada. As close to the Arctic Circle as possible. It'll slow those bastards down. Practical. Very practical. You could survive on whale blubber or something like that. It's delicious. Make an igloo. <laughs> Livius, I think you should go next. <laughs> I'm going to go fairly unoriginal here, and uh, I'm going to go to an island, which I'm pretty sure I've seen in some other um, in some zombie movies. But I think I think in most movies the zombies really can't cross water. Not like vampires can't cross water, but I just think they can't really make it through. So if you eliminate the zombies on the island, then you can live there off the land. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if they just works, walk man. really slow, like under the water? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, we, we just take yeah, we, a really long time. All right, I'm going to Ted Nugent's house. How's that? <laughs> Pack your shit. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going to top Ted Nugent. No. I didn't even have to think about that. Like, as soon as I saw the question, I was like, I would just find Ted Nugent. That is so simple. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's waiting for this. <laughs> Somewhere. You can. He's doing it like all this. He's polishing his gun. He's just waiting. Yes. The radio is on. Oh, come on, zombies. Come on. Damn it, I'm going to kill. <laughs> yes, anything. You know, and he know he does it every night, and he's waiting for something to come on the radio that makes him load all the guns at the same time. I don't know how we can escape putting a Ted Nugent song either at the front or at the back of this episode. Oh, please don't let it be Wango Tango. I hate Wango Tango. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I, I think my response to this question might be probably the most original and the biggest cop out but i know i wouldn't get far man i would fucking die i'd be a zombie like (laughs) so quickly (laughs) it's not even funny i don't even know how hard i would fight (laughs) prob is also waiting for the zombie apocalypse just so he can give up (laughs) i'll be going to be part of the problem not part of the solution so we could get a head start to ted nugent (laughs) if you were willing to go that easily just club the fat guy in the knee. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to Ted Nugent's house. You give me the wrong directions. <laughs> Where are you guys going? We'll be right back, Rob. Hang out for a minute. <clears throat> Go listen to a podcast. Google Ted Nugent's house, Rob. We'll be <laughs> just going to the store. Yeah. <laughs> kind of transitioning into the next area here. Let's talk just a little bit about general horror literature. Um, let's get some, except from Amanda, who doesn't have a favorite anything. Um, <laughs> I like stuff a lot. Let's kind of round robin. Chris, you want to start this out? What's one of your favorite horror books? Oh, uh, I think um, I'm going to have to go with late, uh, layered, late, lard, layered, barren. I apologize. 
for the name, but occult, yeah, can't pronounce it either. But Laird Baron's occultation is uh, a really amazing collection of horror stories. It's more in the Stephen Graham Jones literary horror zone, but it's just damn near perfect. Rob, how about you? Um, I don't know if I have a very good response for this, but I did think of I did think of the most disturbing horror I've ever read, and I googled it just now because I couldn't remember much about it. But uh, it was a collection of stories. Um, the The book's called Splatterpunks, and it's uh, uh, edited by Paul M. Salmon. Salmon, Salmon. Hmm. Um, my God, like. So I mean, I read this probably in like 1995 or something. It was a long time ago, and someone just handed it to me, and they're like, "If you, you know, you should check this out. This is some crazy horror stuff." And I read it, and it was just like the most disturbing stuff. Like it made me feel ugh, just you know really, really unsettled. So if you want some really, really, it's actually called Splatterpunk's Extreme Horror. So it, yeah. it really lives up to the name, and you can find it on Amazon. It's got this kind of weird. It looks like a bluish broken glass back background it's got purple letters that said splatterpunk i'll put it on the website but that uh, yeah just really to this day i read it you know over 15 years ago and it still disturbs me to think about it nice very nice amanda thoughts on any horror literature well actually i actually have a collection I, i think i got it at a yard sale it's um edited by Boris Karloff. It's like a best American horror, one of those collections. I can't remember the year on it. That's so informative. (laughs) And it has the scariest story that I've ever read in it, which is The Judge's House by Bram Stoker. And like, I I do not read this. I mean, I do not read this story. I just, that's probably my favorite horror story, like short story, like The the Judge's House. Freaked me the hell out. (laughs) Very nice. I I think a lot of people don't even know Bram Stoker wrote anything other than Dracula. That's what I mean. (laughs) And I liked this. I read this and I was like, wow, I I really like this a lot better than Dracula. (laughs) Because I'm so scared. And Stephen King. I read a lot of Stephen King and I really, really like the the very scary Stephen King. Like between the ages of like 10 and 12, um, my uncle gave me like his entire paperback collection. So I spent like two solid years like terrorizing myself. <laughs> Stephen King paperbacks. So and my mother blames like everything that I write now on my uncle. So <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's he's like the Chris Deal in your family, just the scapegoat <laughs> friend. Livius, <laughs> yeah. what do you got? Um yeah a couple ones I wanted to talk about real quickly. Um uh, is as a standout book um it by Stephen King was probably one of the creepiest things I ever read. Um oh, yeah. and I crammed it into about 2 days in the event of and again as I mentioned on another podcast I really don't watch things that I or I'm sorry I don't read books of things I watch like movies or TV shows. So I saw the uh the promo for it when it was on television. And said, you know, I should probably read that before I watch the miniseries. So I had to read it in like two days. And I remember finishing it like, I don't know, half an hour before it came on television. And that book just creeped me out. I don't know if it's because I crammed so much into like two days of reading or if it was, uh, you know, just content itself. But that was probably one of the creepiest books I've read. Did you plug the drain drain up in your sink for like a long time? (laughs) 
when you read that because I totally did. Like, I would go into the bathroom and like cram like a washcloth into the drain. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I will. I will tell you a funny story about that type of thing. You had said, you know, your uncle had given you all these Stephen King books when you were, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. I watched The Exorcist, albeit on television, and I was probably about 10. Now, this is probably a poor, um, a poor um, grandparenting decision to uh, let me watch this. But my grandmother let me watch this, who is from Romania and didn't speak English. So I'm really pretty sure she didn't have any idea what she was getting herself into. But for like a week, she made me sleep with a Bible under my pillow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. The, the only other book I want to mention, and Rob and I have talked ad nauseum about this. I don't know if either one of you guys have read House of Leaves by Mark oh, yeah. Z. Lewski. You know, that comes up on a lot of horror lists. And Rob and I, I think, are both of the inclination that it's not necessarily really a horror book. So where do you think that falls in a genre? I'd say more... Uh... Yeah unsettling than anything else it, it, it's nothing in that book necessarily scares me nothing's it didn't come close it wasn't i mean this wasn't uh you know paranormal activity for me but it was just vaguely <laughs> creepy throughout the entire it was vaguely creepy and that was about it and genre wise yeah yeah sure let's call it horror why not it's all horror it's all horror that was my cue for Rob to drop in our, our other soundbite we're going to use, which is Bob Pastorella. For me, I mean, one of my motto is it's all horror. Who always says it's all horror without the other R at the end of there. Uh-huh. I will say, I just, I just have to say this, no matter how much you guys ragged on Richard Thomas and all those other guys, Paranormal Activity 2 was on TV last night. And I guess, and it did freak me out just a little bit. I have to say that it's <laughs> but, not. It was not just Richard Thomas who got freaked out about that. Well, see, it gives me the creeps, but I so like I get so angry at them. I'm like, you leave, leave the house. Like, you're so stupid. Like everything that's happening to you is your own fault. You're messing around with all this stuff. What do you think is going to happen? That's um... makes me angry. We're going to move that into survival question number two. Hey. It's perfect timing. I don't get to talk about House of Leaves? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> God damn it, man. All right. So. <laughs> you got really offended for Yeah, I did. I, I had something to say. I, I want to. Okay. Uh, I want to address something that Chris said. Um, basically, that there wasn't like any real moment that, that scared you or creeped you out. I don't remember exactly what you said. I remember, and this is in, <laughs> for people who have tried to read the book but haven't gotten all the way through it because it's just really difficult, this is in the, toward the beginning of the book. Um, there were some scenes, and I don't remember exactly what was happening, but, but uh, the character Johnny Truant was, it was when he was first starting to um, understand what was going on or, or get into the, the whole story that he was reading about these. Anyway, it was, it was at the beginning when Johnny Truant was just starting to get involved in in his part of the plot and these weird things, these creepy weird things started happening to him and it, and it felt like, you know, things were sneaking up on him in the dark and stuff. And the way that that was written really freaked me out in a way where I, I, I couldn't read those parts of the book. Uh, if I was, you know, in a place by myself or if it was nighttime, it freaked me out so bad that I couldn't do it. So I think there are elements of like some really scary, creepy stuff going on 
and and enough to the point where yeah i think it could be considered horror very cool all right i'm going to shuffle around survival questions because we kind of touched on this a little bit so survival question number two and we'll start off with miss gowan um exactly how haunted does your house have to be before you just pack it in and leave (laughs) something has to hit you in the head and then you leave that's it there you go Go straight over to Ted Nugent's house because he's prepared for ghosts too. No, you don't want to go over there unless the apocalypse is happening. That's okay. Not the place to go. Just, just any other house. You don't want to. And hits you, you, you move. That's all there is to it. That is unexplainable. You, you pack up your shit and you leave. Rob, how about you? Don't get a Ouija board and you don't set up cameras. So you don't do any of that. You just go. Please don't come with me, and you back away. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, I can I can put up with some creepy stuff, and for me, it would be like when I, if there was ever a moment where I was like, I think something's trying to hurt me or doesn't like me, like you know, if there's just like some kind of like weird stuff going on, and it's not dangerous, the kind of like what Amanda just said, like something hits you in the head. If there's something, there comes a moment where like I'm injured. Or like become like, I feel like I'm in danger. Yeah, it's just a house. Get out of there, Chris. If something gets into bed with me, <laughs> that, that, yeah. I, a little while back, um, my my wife had this had this dream. I I'd, I'd gotten up, I or something, whatever. I'd gotten up and gone to work. She's in bed. And she wakes up and she looks over and there there's something like staring at her and it, it looks like a face, but a, it, like a face that's covered in like hair. And uh, yeah, I was very uncomfortable in my house for a little bit after that, after she told me that. So if it gets into bed with me, yeah, I'm gone. Wow. As well, you should be. All right. I'm going to be the total wuss of the group and I'm going to tell you a story that's going to, uh, to explain that. <laughs> Um, probably about three years ago, two years ago, there was an earthquake a couple hundred of, a couple hundred miles south of here. And it was 3.30 in the morning. I think I was actually not working at the time. So I was keeping like really weird hours. But for some reason, I was like going to sleep at 3.30 in the morning. So I was still awake and I felt the bed shake a little bit. <laughs> and the second I felt the bed shake a little bit, the, my first thought was, what stuff do I take with me and leave the house? Because that's exactly what it takes to get me thinking on moving. Nothing has to hit me in the head. Nothing has to get in the bed with me. So needless to say, I didn't leave the house and was very, very relieved to find out the next morning that there were some aftershocks that hit um, <laughs> that hit this area from an earthquake a couple hundred miles away. Because if it happened a second time, I was going to be staying in a motel. <laughs> Down. <laughs> Knowing your luck, it would be a haunted motel. Yep, probably. <laughs> I just keep moving. I keep moving. Yep. I'd stay. I'd stay ahead of these. Ahead of the ghosts. I have a car. I don't think they can travel as quickly as a car. <laughs> wow. Travel until you meet the ghost of Ted Nugent. <laughs> there you go. Ted so. Nugent can't die. Well, I'm glad that Livius is the biggest wimp. Wimp when it comes that to ghosts. Great. Yeah, I don't do well with ghosts. Yeah. All right. So we've covered kind of the, the all of the the whole run of the horror genre in books, but um movies. 
Amanda, throw out some influential zombie movies. Um, I really like White Zombie, and that was just because it was so odd. It was so odd to see Dracula playing a zombie, which is the whole vampire-zombie crossover. And, um, of course, Night of the Living Dead. And then recently, I'm really, really, really drawn into everything comedic as far as a, a lot of blood, a lot of gore, and I like good lines. And comedy. I just, that's that's what I like in movies. That's what I want. So I went to Blood and the Gore and some good one-liners. I like Fido and Dead and Breakfast and, oh, let's see, oh, some other really good ones. Well, serious one, one that, that's kind of like maybe a zombie movie, maybe not, which I thought was a really interesting take, was Carriers. Oh, yeah. I loved Carriers because it, it was almost a zombie movie. Like, there were, there were so many things in it where you go, ah, that's kind of... Touching, you know, it's kind of touch and go, touching on zombie, you know, touching on the zombieism. But yeah, all of the funny stuff. That's mainly what I like to watch. Hmm. Zombie strippers. <laughs> <laughs> that movie Robert. sat on my hard drive for about six months, and I just never got around to watching it. <laughs> zombie strippers. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was so bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> It was horrible. It was awful. Yes, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Chris. Dead and Breakfast is really good. You guys should see that if you haven't. That's, that's incredible. Oh, Otto. Otto. Otto was uh, Otto up with dead people. That, that was really good. That was. Okay, wow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chime in here on Otto. I have not seen the movie, but <laughs> you had mentioned it, so I looked it up and I watched the the trailer for it mm. and i'm not really oh, yeah, sure what just, i'm not really sure what i saw there it, you're, you're it just was, never gonna know where they're gonna put stuff you just don't know what's <laughs> gonna happen in that movie it's um it was all right it, it was um a lot of men making out with other men that were bleeding is what the yeah. whole trailer looked like to me it was just very very strange um yeah the writer and is he the director as well um what's his name Bruce, Bruce LaBruce. Bruce. Yes. Is he also the, the writer and the director of that? Yes. Okay. And producer. Oh, um, no, but I mean, yeah, no, but there was a lot more to it than that. I mean, he directed Slam, and I had a hard time, you know, resolving that that was like the same person that directed Slam. But, um, I mean, you know, because there's the whole idea, is this, is this kid schizophrenic, you know? Is he actually a zombie? Plus, they touched on all of these different um, movie genres and movie eras, and each person from the different movie eras appeared in whatever type of films. I mean, they appeared on screen in whatever type of uh, film they were into. Like the 1920s silent film fan always appeared in sepia and all of her words came up on the screen, like on the black screen with the white lettering. All right, Amanda, here's my question for you. On a scale of one to ten weird, how weird is Otto? <laughs> Like nine and a half. All right, I'll watch it. Damn it. <laughs> I will watch it. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what I was getting into. And then it was like, oh, they're going to put the, oh, oh, yeah, I didn't know that was going to, yeah. Okay. No idea that was going to, yep, they're going to do it again. Okay. <laughs> there was a lot of that. Chris, what do you have for zombie films? Oh, mentioned it earlier. Um, Doghouse, the British zombie comedy quite uh yeah highly recommend that one and 
then you got Dawn of the Dead. The original doesn't get much better than that. Real basic. Ellen, Shaun of the Dead, why not? I was gonna say yeah. for comedy for comedy zombie stuff, that was uh that was the first one I saw that was a comedy and really, really loved Shaun of the Dead. Still do. Me too. Yeah, definitely. Rob. Gotta go with uh I don't really have a favorite. I'll just kind of watch anything that's zombie-related. I honestly haven't gone into the more obscure stuff, like, um, you know, the, the the gay porn zombie movies and stuff. <laughs> but if it's on, I'll, I'll pretty much watch it. Shaun of the Dead, obviously, just... It, I, I just... I think it's so fantastic. Um, because I, There's not much that I need to say about it, but... There, one of the favorite parts in that movie, I don't know why, is when they're they're sitting on the couch and they forgot the door was open and the one zombie walks in and they're freaking out. And even in their panic, the one guy saw it says, he's got an arm off. <laughs> <laughs> that that moment just sold the entire movie to me. And, uh, yeah, such a classic, classic thing. I'm going to throw out something slightly more obscure, and this is just one of those movies I tell everyone they need to watch, um, Della Morte, Della More, which was uh, originally um, an Italian film. It was later released in the United States as Cemetery Man. And uh, protagonist in that, um, it's, it's, it's based on a character from the Dylan Dog comic books, which Dylan Dog, I tried to watch and was basically <laughs> unwatchable <coughs> very recently, but... <laughs> It's a side character in Dylan Dog whose whole job as the caretaker at the cemetery is to um, put people back down when they um, when they come back to life after seven days. So it's not as much about zombies as it is a love story, but it's definitely based in a zombie-laden world. All right. I think the Delamore, I'm sorry, Delamorte, Delamore uh, mention counter on booked is up to about six or seven. <laughs> I do. I, it's, I, I spam that movie to people. I just, them, just watch it. It's fantastic. I'm almost not going to watch it now because you talk about it so much. I know. I know. And it's okay. So, All right. Other horror movies, just in general. Amanda, non-zombie movies. Oh, wow. Um, all of them. <laughs> Everything. Everything from so The Exorcist to... Uh, what insidious i mean everything i love oh. it all yeah chris uh i don't know why but i think my favorite is bar none horror movie new nightmare Ooh. Hmm. a little fourth wall it, action in that movie oh yeah it's it's the besides the original it's it's the the best Nightmare on Elm Street film and just my favorite don't know what it is about that movie it just gets me every time <laughs> I totally glazed over that one because I'm not really big into the horror movie remakes but now that you've said that it's definitely going on my list right on. it's uh, not quite a remake it's it's in the original series and it's just uh, going back and in a world where night in a it, the movie was a movie you're, you've got uh, the original Nancy playing herself. It's a uh... oh, check yeah, it out. It is a clever. I, I don't remember much of it, but I think it's a clever turn on the story in general. Because um, you're right, not a remake, but it takes 
a different perspective of that whole franchise, and and it does a good job of it. I feel totally left out now that I haven't seen this. It was really good. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but by the way, we had some technical difficulties earlier. I was going to chime in with, I did watch Fido after you had recommended it. And then Chris had mentioned it to us uh, again when we were on our, uh, our downtown Indiana road trip. And uh, that was a really great movie. It's fantastic. Oh, it makes me movie. so happy. Yeah. <laughs> makes me happy. I love Billy Connolly. Um, Rob, horror movie. I got to give it up to the the classic franchises like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and the the Friday the Thirteenth movies and stuff like that. Um, I think the campiness of of the original concept of them is just fantastic, and the the idea that you know there's this kind of epic villain that is so overpowered that you you know no one's supposed to win, but in the end. Oftentimes, you know, he's bested only to come back later on, that whole thing. I love that whole setup. But um, <laughs> kind of going along what Chris said with the Nightmare movie, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is about um, Friday the 13th movie. It, it was the 10th one. It was Jason 10, I think. Is that the one where he's in space? Can anybody back me up yeah, on this? Jason, yeah. yeah, Jason 10. Oh, my God. <laughs> Again, that was like... That was one of those situations where it, it was just spun in this unexpected direction, and, and one of the most fantastic things about it is um, there's like a kind of like a simulation. <laughs> they put they run Jason through this like weird like fake simulation of of you know just yeah, I don't even know how to explain it, but there was a scene where like the way that the the, the fake people acted these two you know, half-naked, co-ed, you know, young girls were like, let's get high and have sex. And and, and it was just such a, a shot at, at, the, at, at the entire Friday the 13th franchise. It was fantastic, and I had so much respect that they went there with that. And then they cut away to something else, and they come back, and he's just got the girls in a sleeping bag, and he's beating up against a tree. Oh, my God. That was just, yeah, stuff like that. I love it when it's, like, campy and, and just hilarious like that. Kind of touching on things that both Chris and Rob said. Um, I always liked the Halloween franchise, but um, something about Halloween H2O that was really <laughs> panned by a lot of people, really, that's one of my top five horror movies probably. And it was, you know, a little bit of a reboot, but it had like kind of the original, you know, it had Jamie Lee Curtis in it. And it just something about that movie really struck me as just a fantastic um just as a fantastic chapter in that saga, which I was totally, totally bummed at the end when it just turned out that that was a copycat killer. Ooh. So kind of mixed feelings about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but favorite, I shouldn't say this, scariest horror movie I've ever seen, Blair Witch Project, bar none. Livius and I were talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about this the other night, and I said that I was pretty much bored through the original Blair Witch until the end when I was like, this is kind of creepy and messed up. But, and, and I don't know if this is like, this is the equivalent of Livia's talking about the earthquake earlier, but uh, <laughs> I was far more scared by the second movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which was just like a crappy movie, but it scared the hell out of me for some reason. The one thing I find interesting about this, and I realize I'm in the minority from the thousands of conversations I've had about this movie over the years, but it's there are a lot of movies out there that you get people say oh that was okay you know oh yeah you know i saw that movie it was okay 
nobody says this movie is okay. It, you either loved it or you hated it, and there is almost no in-between crowd, or if there is, it's very, very minimal. So I'm going to ask you guys your opinion. Blair Witch Project. Chris? I'm mostly neutral. Uh, the ending is fantastic, <laughs> but... Uh... Way to prove me wrong there, Chris. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's well done. It's just um, at that point, or at you know, looking back on it, what they did with the uh, mockumentary aspect, uh, is it real, is it not? It's been, it's been played out. And looking back, I mean, it was good for the time, and I'm still, that ending creeps me right the hell out, but, eh. That eh. <laughs> score's a meh from Chris. <laughs> okay. Amanda, will you also chime in with a, it was okay, just to round it up? <laughs> <laughs> I could. I mean, I really liked it the first time that I saw it. I I mean, I didn't... I mean, this is another one of those movies that had the characters in it that you didn't really care if they were going to die. Like, you didn't have any empathy. I keep saying that. I feel really bad. I'm like, I didn't care <laughs> if they died. But I didn't really have empathy for the characters. But I thought that when the camera wasn't jerking around so much that it was making me nauseous, like, I was actually... You know, I was actually, you know, there with them, like I was, you know, with the cameras and, oh, you know, it worked for me when I wasn't sick, you know, waiting for one of them to die so they would shut up. scared me. Wow. (laughs) All right. And being that it's October and we're talking about movies, there are a couple of movies coming out um, this month of interest. We uh, mentioned Paranormal Activity earlier. I'd also like to note that we did not pick on Richard Thomas this episode, but that Craig Walwork did. Totally unsolicited. And then so did Chris, again, our scapegoat. So <laughs> Paranormal Activity 3. Um, I know Rob has no opinion on this as he has failed to see the first two still. Um, Amanda, Paranormal Activity 3? I'll see it when it comes to Redbox. Underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll definitely watch it, but I will pay a dollar. I will not pay ten. <laughs> to the, the, the thing about that movie is I think that that movie can have more of an effect on you watching it at home, you know, in the dark on the small screen than in a group of people. I think that if it's, you know, and the first one I thought was fairly creepy. The second one was, was okay. But if I would have seen them in the theater, I think they would have lost their creep factor a little bit. Yeah, they really do. They attack that home front that... It's a good. That's a good point. I didn't think of that, but yeah. yeah, there are certain movies that definitely make you feel more vulnerable when you're, you know, in the in the place that you feel is the most safe for you. Chris, I have to grab a charger. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm running away. Oh, well, she's gone. Chris, thoughts on Paranormal Activity three? Uh, I mean, I'll. I'm I'm kind of interested in the overall the overarching story what that's going to turn out how connected everything is but yeah when it gets on Netflix instant I'll give it a go. I'm gonna wait for Amanda so I can mention this next one. I get the feeling she's gonna have something to say. Okay, guys, we had to just take a quick break. Um, Amanda had to go off. She had some technical difficulties and needed to get, I think, a power cord or something like that. And uh, after a while, we were worried that uh, the zombies had taken her. We were getting ready to call Ted Nugent and <laughs> see if she made it to the compound yet. But now she's back, and we're going to um, continue on, on, you know, we had we didn't lose her. So we're going to keep moving Hi. on. <laughs> Welcome back. Hello. Um, <laughs> 
The only other movie of interest I saw that was coming up in the near future as a horror movie is The Human Centipede Full Segment. Oh, um, God. Chris, is have that... you seen the first one? I, no. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. I distinctly no, no, get no, the no. feeling that Amanda has seen it, though, somehow. No, I, I, have, just, I have not. How have you missed this? Like the weirdest movie I've... ever. I'm I'm really really lazy about finding movies. Okay. They come to me. Float into my universe and I will see it. <laughs> yes, I did see the first Human Centipede, and it was um, certainly a shock and gore factor to that movie. Um, that being said, I watched the trailer for Human Centipede two. Immediately went on Twitter and said, "I just watched a really crappy trailer for Human or for Human Centipede full segment." And I'm still gonna watch that movie because I just can't help myself. <laughs> I, oh wow! I haven't I haven't seen the Human Centipede, and here's the reason why. Like um, I had seen a lot of hype around it before it came out, and somewhere there was like a ten. It was like a ten minute trailer. It was like it was it was beyond trailer. It was it was a lot of stuff, but it was so comprehensive. <laughs> to its detriment, I think it, it it filled in as much of the gaps as I think I needed <laughs> to have an understanding of what the movie was. And then I was like, yeah, I don't need to see it. So um, you saw like the Reader's Digest version, version like already. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I saw the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> the one thing of, of that's maybe noteworthy about the first one is that um, they claimed it was uh, medically accurate. Um, if you're... <laughs> For anybody who's not familiar with this, with the premise of this movie, a, you know, insane scientist um, decides for no reason whatsoever to um, take three people and connect them in such a way that they are one digestive system. And you can kind of, you know, draw. I don't know. We were just talking about zombie pussy eaters a a minute ago. Anyway, basically what he does, he creates a centipede out of three people in an ass to mouth version of (laughs) stitched together. So the the big deal about it was when it came out is that it claimed to be medically accurate. Um, The only thing I found um, to support that is that they got one doctor who wasn't very credible to say that it was medically accurate. And that's how they they took that. Um, The second movie is being billed as 100% medically inaccurate. (laughs) See, it's a full segment, 12 people all stitched together. So, wow. uh, Again, the weirder the movie is, the more likely I am to watch it, which is why I will be looking for Otto shortly because it's nine and a half a scale of one to ten. Hey, this is totally off topic, but it's been bothering the shit out of me, and I need to bring it up somewhere. So uh, I'm using this as my platform. Way, way off topic. Um, I've been inundated with uh, commercials for the, the third Transformer movie, which is coming out, I guess, on DVD and Blu-ray and some crazy other, you know, formats and everything. And the thing that bothers me about these commercials is that over and over again, they say it's the best action movie ever. It bothered me. (laughs) It bothered me so much because I mean, it's the fucking Transformers movie that I went to the website to see who they credited that quote to. (laughs) And it was like, uh, you know, some guy whose name I'd never heard of. I Googled the guy and he's the guy that does he he works for a TV station in Minnesota, and he does the, the morning traffic report. <laughs> they always put the print really really small underneath the quote. Yeah, I don't know. That just I 
It frustrates me so bad I can't even form like rational thoughts about it. Anybody else? Any thoughts on this? Um, I thought that was uh, you had mentioned it on Facebook, I think, and uh, I thought that was really, really interesting. I've actually brought that up in conversation a couple of times. <sighs> yeah, but All then right. again, I mean, it's you know, I don't know. How does that guy not have as much credibility as somebody else? I don't know. He's probably watched some movies, but yeah, again, I... Maybe. All right, but he hasn't built a career off of having, like, some sort of refined taste in movies or even, like, any kind of fucking rudimentary knowledge of movies. Like, this guy tells you how many cars are on the road in the morning in some goddamn Minnesota (laughs) town. (laughs) Yeah, but he said the thing that got him picked, he got to be in the, you know, he's credited. He's everywhere. Yeah, well, now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he can't, he can't use his now fame to give him credibility for what gave him his now fame. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I don't know. He could always be quoted as that guy that said Transformers 3 was the greatest action movie ever. That could be his little tagline. That's some sort of goddamn genius loophole that, like, I need to find a way to get in on because we're, we're doing this all wrong. <laughs> yeah, god damn it. We're trying to do like a legitimate book review. We should just like say ridiculous things and get we'll be like a blurb factory. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so this is gonna be totally out of context because I jumbled our um our sur- survival questions a little bit. <laughs> this is where the haunted one was supposed to be following Paranormal Activity Three. So, okay, we're going to talk a little bit about vampires, just so this episode doesn't go without a little vampire talk. If you had the um, fortune or misfortune of becoming a vampire, would you be the shiny, happy, twilight-like vampire (laughs) that finds a human to love and protect forever? Or would you be that badass vampire that's just totally out for yourself, that's going to gorge yourself on blood and whatever for eternity? Rob, let's start with you. Oh, I'm going evil. If I'm a vampire... And I'm immortal, or whatever, close as, as close as you can be. I'm going way, way evil. In, big a, in a big, bad way. Uh, evil. Totally evil. Amanda? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. You have to kill everyone. <laughs> as quickly as possible. <laughs> Stop me, you know. This myth, these new vampires, like all of them, put it all to rest. Man is going one step farther. She's not only she's not only going to not be a shiny, happy vampire, but she's going to find all of them and exterminate them. She's going to be Russell from True Blood. I will eat only babies. I will drink only the blood of babies. <laughs> really make people hate vampires. Can, Rob, can we cut that as the soundbite that we use to promote this show? Yes. Just her saying she'll only drink the blood of babies? Yes. I would only drink the blood of babies and very, very cute striped kittens. Perfect. Livius, what kind of vampire are you going to be? Totally. I thought somebody would try to be human-friendly. Oh, no, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm very selfish. I'm totally going to take it for all it's worth and, and like start my own little human farm just to make sure I never run out of blood to drink. <laughs> wow! <laughs> All right, that that went just as evil as as I hoped it would. Yay! Let's turn it to TV shows a little bit. Um, horror has seen a recent resurgence in TV shows. Um, Rob just mentioned True Blood. I don't know how much horror that actually is. Um, 
but it's very, very popular. I personally watch it and enjoy it quite a bit. Um, but The Walking Dead comes back this week. Um, I don't know if, uh, Rob, have you seen The Walking Dead, the first season? Half season, whatever it was. First episode, and then I, I gave up. Oh, well, that's yeah. perfect. It's like you said you'd do if there was a zombie apocalypse. You'd go <laughs> it, applies to, yeah. it applies to serialized yeah, stories as well. I died. I became one of the zombies. Chris, anything on The Walking Dead? Uh, I actually watched an episode uh, over the weekend, or episode and a half, since it's on Netflix now. Um, it's enjoyable. I like it. Um, Not quite uh, <laughs> really... It's more the zombies are, I think, kind of like window dressing in that it's mostly, you know, a personal drama between, you know, relationships and all that, yada, yada. But uh, it's fun. It's a good show. Amanda, anything of any interest you'd like to add about The Walking Dead? Well, I've never seen The Walking Dead. I don't actually get that channel. I've heard very, very good things. Um, but I was on a... I was on a plane and I was really, really tired and I fell asleep on this guy um, that was sitting next to me for like two hours, you know, that like snuggle stranger sleep, like up on like their shoulders, like drooling on someone. So after this, you know, when we, when I woke up, of course we were like best friends, because, you know, after. Well, when you drool on someone, yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah. When you drool on a total stranger for a couple of hours, you wake up and you're friends and, um, we started talking about, you know, life and what we did and all that different kind of thing. And um, he said that he worked in TV that, you know, he was like, oh, you know, I write too. Um, but, you know, I work more on, you know, films and different things. And he said that he worked on crew for this show. And I think it kind of like he didn't know what I would think about it, you know, so he didn't tell me what it was. He's like, it's really kind of hard to explain. Um, I'll just show you a trailer for it. any like showed me the trailer for the walking dead. So it's like, Oh my God, you know, that's yeah. I've, of course I've heard of this. Yes. Cause he didn't know if I, you know, he didn't think that many people had heard of it. I don't think this was just like a month ago, a couple of months ago. It was actually on my way back from the warm to bound readings. And yeah. And then he showed me a bunch of pictures of zombies eating sandwiches at lunchtime on their breaks. That's incredible. There you go. The realism of that show for you is dead, apparently, because you're seeing them eat sandwiches <laughs> and not brains. That's um, really I charming. Do. I don't know why, but I find that, that sandwich part really, really charming. Um, I did watch the first, whatever they're calling it, season. It was only six episodes. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, it's a, a lot more than you'd ever expect to see on uh, on television as far as, you know, just visceral gore you know, but one of the interesting things I went, uh, I joined our friends from the Fat Nay podcast at a uh, comic convention, I don't know, a couple months ago now. And <laughs> the person they had there from The Walking Dead is called, uh, I think she's called the Bicycle Girl. Anyway, she is the girl that was just a torso crawling along the park, like through the entirety mm. of the first episode. And there was just like the longest line of people lined up to pay like 30 bucks to have their picture taken with her. So it definitely has its uh, its geek factor is very very high. Wow. Yep. And then there's another zombie show on TV. Um, MTV launched their Death Valley show. Um, I don't know six weeks ago or so. Um, huh. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even heard of this. Okay. Yeah, I haven't. Couldn't tell you. 
Yeah, you're not missing anything. Amanda, are you familiar with it at all? I haven't heard of it either. <laughs> God <laughs> awful. This is this is Reno nine one one meets zombies. And it was just I watched the first episode and that's all I could get well, through. See, it was that absolute. sounds really good, but then you add M T V to that and I think, mm, no, I don't this is yeah. Reno nine one one zombies, that would be awesome. <laughs> I, I couldn't I mean I, I I sat through the entire, you know, it's a half hour show. So is that like 21 minutes after commercials? And I thought this is the longest show I've ever watched because it was just that bad in my opinion. So, oh. so yeah, definitely a thumbs up for The Walking Dead for me and unwatchable for Death Valley. Wow. And I just want to note if anyone was wondering, Death Valley was actually created by the lead singer of Power Man 5000. Ooh. There you go. Ooh, Isn't that's he? Rob Zombie's brother. Yeah, right? I was going to say, Spider. I'm going to be on Jeopardy, I'm telling you. See? <laughs> dirty <laughs> Jeopardy. What did we call it? Dirty Jeopardy? I can't even remember. <laughs> dirty Jeopardy. Um, I do think that, uh, unlike his brother, who made some fantastic <laughs> movies, um, yes. yeah, he needs to stick to, he needs to stick to, like, you know, just the headbanging <laughs> music and not, um, not that. Being blonde. Yeah, before we go on, I can't believe that Rob Zombie's movies didn't come up when I was talking about horror movies, because um, House of a Thousand Corpses scared the shit out of me, like, like freaked me out big time, and the follow-up. The Devil's Rejects was, I thought, an incredible movie, and I unexpectedly had such a weepy, sobby moment at the end of it that it just, like, it won my heart. such an incredible movie. I loved House of a Thousand Corpses. I love it. I watch it, like, at least once a month, but, like, it's not <laughs> scary. Like, even, like, teeny, teeny, like, little bit scary. Like, I, I love it. And that's, again, it's more people that you don't like and... And you know the fun people. It's like yay, and then they take them apart and do fun things with them. And (laughs) (laughs) Captain Spaulding, yay! You know Sid Haig, it's awesome. But I am um, also a huge fan of that um, of those two movies. But here's my thought: I think I might be in Amanda's camp on this. It never occurred to me that those are horror movies. No, they oh yeah, they totally are, and I. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just you know you said that, and I'm like I'm like. Yeah, you know, I could see where someone would think they're horror movies, and th- and then I thought, no, I'm pretty sure they're just flat out horror movies, but that just never occurred to me. Yeah, yeah they're like they're like family. They're about family togetherness. And um. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> the whole tutti frutti thing, like in the in Devil's Rejects, like when she wanted to stop and get ice cream, that was like one of my favorite parts of the entire film. Like yeah, the whole was, like father daughter and then the half brother, you know, arguing about whether or not they're going to stop and get ice cream. Like I just, I just, it was stuff like that. Like I really, really liked all that. And then I, they stab uh, some people and shoot some people and stuff. You know, I was totally good. enamored with Sherry Moon um, <laughs> when I saw that, and then I wound up watching an interview with her and found out that she's not really that character, and I was so disillusioned. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you have to nail her to a chair. There you go. There's a thought. <laughs> My bucket list nail Sherry and Zombie to a chair. But um, yeah, I feel terrible that didn't come up earlier because I love those movies. And the only other thing I had for TV, and this is fairly recent, um, American Horror Story debuted um, last week. Uh, I watched it last night. Uh, either one of you guys seen it yet? Uh, I saw it last week, yeah. What did you think? I... That's an that's an odd one. Seems like it's a it's a 
update. Uh, it's like a, I don't know, uh, Twin Peaks with Nip Tuck sensibilities. It, I'm curious where it'll go. Not really sure if I'm going to tune in again, though. Amanda, did you see it? No, but is X Files considered like horror horror on television? Like, is that just strictly sci-fi? No, it's horror. I just wanted, really? I just wanted to talk about X Files for a second and say, Yay, <laughs> um, I think it's sci-fi, but as our, our good friend Bob Pastorella says, it's all horror. That's right. <laughs> um, Did the, you see the, the episode of Home? That's horror. That's yeah. Oh, that's that's. <laughs> well, I'm just, mm. That show, although it was, you know, traditionally branded as sci-fi, also crossed into, I mean, they had vampires and werewolves and ghosts and stuff they dealt with. So I could see where that could cross over into horror, although the premise of it was that they were kind of investigating investigating mostly aliens. But, yeah, there was a lot of supernatural stuff there, too. Loved that show. Thank you. I haven't seen American Horror Story, but it was high on my list of things to check out. Um, I'm a big fan of Dylan McDermott. Um, well, you get to see lots of Dylan McDermott ass in oh. it. Oh, lots of this. <laughs> I don't know how big of a fan you are, but you're going to see a lot of him in this. Oh, you guys ready for an interesting Dylan McDermott fact? Dylan McDermott fact that no one's going to care about. Yes, his stepmother, I think, is Eve Ensler, the uh, the famous um, feminist icon who wrote the vagina or made the vagina monologues. Albie crickets. <laughs> I was just so fascinated when I heard that. I don't know why. It just really captured my imagination. That I, I try to imagine Dylan McDermott and Eve Ensler in the same room. It's yeah. She probably beat his ass a lot. <laughs> I don't know why, but I don't think so. Anyway, back on topic. American Horror Story looks pretty cool, and uh, I'm definitely going to be checking it out. I um I watched it last night and uh, I'm very very interested in the premise of it. Um, the first episode and I'm always very hard on shows for their first episode because they need to cram a lot in to get people's interest. But I just kind of felt like it was all over the place. So maybe if it kind of steers itself into a particular direction, it could be very very good. Some creepy stuff going on there. Sweet. So that wraps it up for all of our uh, all of our talk about. Fiction, zombies, shows, movies, and everything else. The only other note I had on here, and this is something I read, and uh, poor me for not crediting it. I was reading a short story, and I'm going to leave it there so I don't really put myself into what I was reading that I don't remember. Um, and uh, someone mentioned zombies as stumblers versus runners, which is not a way I'd ever really thought of it. So it's kind of some just general thoughts you guys have. The stumblers being the traditional like Romero um, zombies that stagger around with their arms in front of them. And then the runners, which the first thing I ever saw them in was 28 days later. Uh, thoughts, Rob preference. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I didn't put a lot of thought into it. And then we interviewed Stephen Graham Jones, who was more articulate on the topic of zombies than I've ever heard anybody be in my entire life. And, he had some really interesting thoughts to say on it about um, why one is more frightening than the other. But um, I, I and I and I'm not going to try and even 
quote or paraphrase what he said because it was just so brilliant the way he said it. But I think that I think that the runners are just kind of there's a problem with the runners is that like it's almost so futile that you know it takes away from the story element of it, but that makes them scarier. I like the stumblers better because there's more like down and dirty weirdness going on. Amanda, thoughts? I like the stumblers. I just like the look better. It's so traditional. I like the guts hanging out and the, you know, shambling along, all of that. I agree that the the runners, like, yeah, and 28 Days Later, like, that was the, one of the first, I'd never really seen them, you know, move that way before. It was like a total shock. Um, but as far as, yeah, I like the, the look of the traditional, the traditional zombie, the traditional kind of shambler, stumbler. Ooh, Shambler. I like that. Nice. Chris? <laughs> I don't think I, I don't, I did, that's not mine. I don't remember who said that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, you, it's, I love 28 Days Later, but you gotta go with a Stumbler. That's, right. that's what I, a six years old watching Night of the Living Dead for the first time, that's what scares me. Scared me then, scares me now. It's good. The other, the other topic I have is the parenting skills of, uh, of parents that everybody on this episode, while we're all watching The Exorcist and Night of the Living Dead and reading Stephen King at 10. There's some, there's some other issues that, that lie a little deeper here under the surface. So, But yeah, it's unanimous. I, I prefer Stumblers. Um, I will say that in 28 Days Later was a great movie, and I didn't find it, you know, terrifying throughout. But I vividly remember the first time I saw a zombie run. I think I kind of like, you know, like like sat up in my seat a little bit, like to sort of back away from the screen a little bit when I saw it because it caught me so off guard and it was so terrifying the first time I saw it. But yeah, for for general story stuff, it's yeah, I would have to say that shamblers um, or stumblers are are far more intriguing. Can I call you out a little bit and say that there should have been a third um, um, of type in this in this choice? And sure. obviously it would be pussy eaters. <laughs> nice. Very nice, Rob. <laughs> Full circle, guys. Full circle. Yep. yep. And that, uh, I think that's going to take <laughs> us into wrapping, uh, wrapping this up a little bit. Okay, before we run, um, Amanda, really quickly, is there anything that uh, you're working on now that we can look forward to? Lots of lots of shorts. Um, the Thunderdome anthology that's coming up, it's supposed to release, I think, at the end of November. And all of the updates and links to everything on that are on my WordPress site. It's lookatmissohio.wordpress.com. Sounds good. We'll make sure we have a link to that on the website. Chris, uh, what do you have going on that we can look forward to now or in the near future? Uh, i got a good few stories coming out. Um uh, Amanda mentioned the Thunderdome anthology. Uh, and beyond that, that's that's uh, a few stories. Don't have any specific dates, but stuff's coming out. And um, uh, my book, Cien Fuegos, was just recently re-released by Kabua Press. Uh, I think there's a giveaway going on on Goodreads, and yeah, that's about it. Great. You can find Cien Fuegos at uh, kabuapress.wordpress.com along with a lot of other really good fiction for free or very cheap. Cool. All right. We, we like free. 
<laughs> we'll make sure that we have links up on the website for that as well. The Kuboa thing, uh, yeah, Craig has the, the collection of short stories, Quintessence of Dust. That's not yeah, mine. It's coming down, the, it's coming, yeah, that's coming down the pipe, yeah. and I know uh, what Eddie's got a novel coming out soon, too. Yeah. That. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on Booked. We really appreciate it. It was a great episode. Thank you. It's way too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll definitely have to do this again soon. Uh, that wraps it up for a very, very special zombie horror extravaganza, spectacular, and then in parentheses, arms waving motion. Um, <laughs> I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. 